This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. All right, buckle up. Here we go once again, one more time. Here we are. It's the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by my awesome friend and kick-ass co-host, Chris Sinzak. What's going on, brother? Oh, not much. Uh, I, I think I'm a little happier than you are today. We're not going to get yeah. into too much football, yeah. but uh, yeah, my team is going on to the Super Bowl and your team had their season ended. But uh, Yeah, no decibel geek playoff championship this year. Yeah, but uh, I am paying for it today. I have a massive hangover from last night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just dealing with depression, so. But it'll pass. It'll pass. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, uh, exciting guest today, something that we've wanted to do for a very, very long time, um, a subject that is near and dear to everybody, and uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes. We've got to take care of the business first, though. Yeah, most definitely got some cool business to handle right here. We've got a sweet, sweet Apple podcast review, in case you don't know. We love reviews. We really love them a lot. You can give them to us. We appreciate it. And when they're awesome like this one, we're going to read it on the show. So this one's entitled, Love This Podcast. It's got all five stars, and it goes like this. I fall into the perfect age group for this podcast. I was six in 78 and became a lifelong Kiss fan that year. And all the music that surrounded them. I feel like I'm back in high school shooting the shit with my music geek buddies, and I love every minute of it. It's an awesome review. It comes to us from J. Mike Mack via Apple Podcasts from right here in the good old USA. Gotta love that. And that's how it's done right there. Simple, easy, just like that. You can be cool like J. Mike Mack, and you can leave us a podcast review on Apple iTunes. You can do it on uh, Podchaser, and you can even leave us a Facebook recommendation. That's right. As you know, we're not joking. We really love these things, and it helps out the show, too. So helps people, helps us get out to more people, more chance to see it. They might read your review and go, that sounds awesome. I'm going to check out the Decibel Geek podcast. And the party continues to grow. If you love to party with the Decibel Geek podcast, here's something you can do. Become a Decibel Geek VIP real quick. It's sweet. It's easy. It's over on Patreon.com. There's over... Golly, there's over 100 episodes of the Chris and Aaron show. I know that. This is the important time of every episode now that I feel like i got to ask because we do have the Torpedo Dudes podcast, which is Chris and I's Kiss show. And, you know, i got to ask, did the Ace Frehley thing go up yet? It's going up in the morning. <laughs> I promise. You heard it here first, people. Going up in the morning, he promises. If you're a if you are a Decibel Geek VIP and you love Kiss, you like the Torpedo Dudes. Look forward to that. But don't worry, I'll ask him again next week. Yeah. <laughs> he will without fail. Um. So that's cool, man. So you know we're huge Kiss fans. You know Chris and I, we grew up being Kiss fans. And, you know, that we do that Torpedo Dudes podcast on the side just for fun. And we always love to talk about the early days of KISS, the the up-and-coming, the nitty-gritty, the fighting to get there. Not the KISS that's the biggest thing in the world and later on in the 70s, but that scene in New York City, man, where KISS came up and a bunch of other great bands, it's something special. I know we're both big fans of it. 
Yeah, and we're we're going to get to some of that in a minute. But uh, our other favorite people are the Geeks of the Week this week. These are the people that share it on Facebook, retweet it on Twitter. Last week's New Noise episode, uh, good feedback on that one. That was a fun one to do. Always nice to catch up on the news. Oh, yeah. Geeks of the Week this week are Adam Cox, Jeffrey Mendenhall, Sit and Spin with Joe Cobras and Fire Podcast, Simon Cat, Shea Hargett, Mark and Jerry B's Sessions. That's a new one. Mark Alden Taylor, Freeform Rock Podcast, David Glenn, Wayne Cross, Mike Parnell, The Bakery Podcast, Aaron Baker, Kristen Schimbeck, David Kathy, Scott Crouch, Pantheon Podcast, JJP, Body of the Soul, Jay Shablewski, Sean Cullen, Sign of the Times, Kevin Williams, Baco, MJ Condoleoni, I think I did that right, Hakon Bergstad, Keith Rockford, Vet Halen, Entropy, Kevin Northern, and as always, The Mooger Fooger. Man, I was so excited. I feel terrible. I was so excited to get into this talk about early 70s New York scene that I almost forgot about the Geeks of the Week and all that. I was right, ready to get right into it. <laughs> but you like the way I segued right into it, though? You did, man. As soon as you started talking about it, I was like, oh, shit, Geeks of the Week. What am I doing? <laughs> oh, man. It's not like we've been doing this for almost 10 years. I know. No, not at all. But yeah, so we got, um, you know, recently we uh, we heard about the passing of sylvain sylvain from the new york dolls and and anyone who's you know familiar with this show knows that we love that you know a time travel moment would be to go to the 70s and go to the new york rock scene of the 70s and and see all those bands and go to the because even the clubs are as famous as the bands and and our guest today we're going to talk about a lot of that with um he's a man of many talents like he he's a musician but he's a writer and he's worked on films and he's He's done a lot of stuff, and he's been a listener of our show for a long time, and I follow him on Facebook, and he's posted so many cool things where it's like, wow, he was in the middle of like a lot of this stuff, and he he knew a lot of these people. So um, when Sill passed, I was just like, I know he knew him, so let's try to bring him onto the show. So making his Decibel Geek debut, Mr. Tony Mann. How, how's it going, Tony? Hey, everyone. How are you? Nice, nice to finally get to talk to you guys on the show. Heck yeah, it's yeah. good. Good to have you on. Looks like it looks like you're st- you're sitting where um, Kiss took that shot on top of the Empire State Building. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does look like that. But uh, actually, I live downtown, but I do live in Manhattan. So, yeah, yeah, not too far. Very cool. So, um, so yeah, so I mean, can you kind of give a brief summary of you and your your history with the uh, the New York rock scene? Okay. Uh, well. I'm a New Yorker. I'm a musician. I've been a costume designer, uh, author, worked on films. So kind of all the arts, even some theater. And uh, so um, even though it's a big city, it's a it's a real small scene. And uh, honestly, back in the day, you could run into just about anybody on the street here, you know, and um, I'm uh, I'm not a shy person. I'll go up to someone and say hello it was a lot of opportunity to meet all kinds of people from all walks of life. And, uh, I took advantage of that and, uh, been lucky enough to know a lot of famous and not famous people that were really cool. And, um, it's been a, a really cool life to, um, spend here, you know, during all these eras and see the changes in the city and all that. It's really gone through a lot especially now with what's going on. So, uh, you know, now we have time to reflect on things. And um, unfortunately, a lot of people have been passing away. So, um, you know, then you really look back and appreciate knowing these people like, you know, Ramones or uh, New York Dolls or whatever 
artist, musician, you know, and if you're in the East Village and, you know, I've lived in you know, Harlem, uh, East Village, Lower East Side for the most recent time, Lower East Side. And, uh, and my uncle used to live down here uh, when I was a kid. So I've always kind of been around traveling around different parts of the city. And, uh, you know, I, I'm into all different kinds of music, um, rock, jazz, funk. I've seen, you know, all those people and worked with some of them in one way or another. And, uh, you know, it's been a real like privilege to get to know some people here where, you know, I've lived in other places and, you know, different, different population, different kind of people. Although I did, you know, uh, when I did live in New Hampshire, you know, for a while. And, uh, when I lived there, I played with Gigi Allen and I was friends with Brad Delpo, Boston and people like that. So I guess I kind of gravitate to, uh, like-minded creative individuals and, um, especially in the sixties and seventies and, you know, this, this city was a very energetic and uh, inspirational uh, creative hub uh, because you know, it was a lot cheaper to live here then. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the city was busted, messed up. But, uh, you know, it was kind of like being in a gang to live here. Like, I think mm-hmm. a lot of people from other, other uh, cities were, you know, had like a fear of New York, actually, you know, when I was a kid. Uh, even if, you know, even if you went wherever, and some guy could be bigger than you, but if you were like, I'm from New York, like they might just run away just because of <laughs> who said that. So, uh, you know, anyway, uh, you know, after 9-11, things took a different turn because people, you know, felt some sympathy for what was going on here and whatnot. But uh, before that, it was, uh, you know, it was kind of like being in a gang to live here. On It, it was like a badge, yeah. you know, to, yeah, you know, and you had to, you know, uh, kind of have a sixth sense of walking around and uh especially if you're a freaky rock guy like i was or you know you had to uh you know watch yourself and have uh go on your instincts so i've been able to survive luckily <laughs> and um, right. uh, many people haven't and that's unfortunate but uh it's kind of like it's an energetic city and uh that's why a lot of people come here to get you know inspiration to do their art and uh pull it out of them you know whatever's inside you you yeah. uh, see other people doing something and you might not even be copying them, but you just feel inspired to do something, you know? Yeah. Kind of like that. That's very cool. So let, let's go back. Like when, what were some of the first, you know, like club shows and stuff that, that you experienced in New York and, and, and when were those? Oh, okay. So when I was a kid, um, you know, my parents and my family was always very supportive of, uh, my interest in music, art, and creative things. And uh, my parents weren't musicians. My dad, a little bit. My uncles, a couple of them were musically inclined. One of my uncles is a very good musician. But um, uh, it was a lot going on. You could almost go out every day or night, maybe multiple times, to see something amazing then. And uh, I remember seeing uh, The Who play Tommy at the Fillmore East when I was a little kid. It's one of the first shows I remember. Um, and uh, I met the who I met Keith Moon and I met all these guys and uh, you could just walk up to them, you know, it wasn't any big deal. Um, yeah. So uh, earliest shows I remember, one of them would be, you know, early who shows, uh, shows at Madison Square Garden of different bands, uh, outdoor shows in Central Park. Um, pretty much every artist you can imagine played here. Like I saw Elvis, I saw, 
you know, I didn't see the Beatles. That was a little before my time, but I saw them all play separately. And uh, I met all of them at different times. Wow. And um, so uh, it kind of before John Lennon um, was murdered, uh, celebrity wasn't an issue here. That's why people came here. Like they could just walk down the street and, oh, there's Frank Zappa or whoever. Nobody would really say anything to him except maybe hello. And they would just go about their business. But kind of um, after the John Lennon thing, uh, security and other things became a real issue and people focused on that and it became like a thing, you know, yeah. and people were more conscious of it. But before that, you could just walk in backstage. If you acted like you belong there, nobody said anything. If you looked like it, you know, and that was the way it was. And a lot of these people hung out at different bars and venues and I could go to bars as a kid and nobody really cared. And, um, uh, speaking of New York dolls, um, well, you know, before New York dolls in New York, um, there weren't really many clubs. There weren't clubs to play. Okay. Um, there was a couple places, but, um, there were like disco techs or whatever they called it. You know, there weren't really many clubs and, uh, the velvet underground became well-known and they were basically, you know, funded, encouraged by Andy Warhol, you know, and, um, Andy Warhol art scene. And, you know, they played at his happenings and all that. And so, you know, he, he was behind them. And, um, they were a big New York band. And then, of course, Lou Reed came out and became a huge, important solo artist out of that. Um, one of the most New York artists, really. And um, so after that, uh, um, a lot of bands were inspired by British British rock, yeah. like, you know, yeah. Beatles, Stones, The Who, Led Zeppelin, and all, blah, blah, blah. And uh, <clears throat> the guys in New York Dolls um, were kind of a ragtag bunch of people that um, they were inspired by all these bands. And uh, Sylvain was actually from Cairo, Egypt. Yeah. And uh, he was born in Cairo, Egypt, and uh, his family was kicked out because they were Jewish and they moved to France for a little while in uh, Montmartre, which is like a creative section of, of Paris. And uh, they lived there a while. Then they moved to Buffalo, New York, which was, Okay, a little bit of a culture shock. They thought they were moving to, uh, you know, New York City, and they moved to Buffalo, and they're wow. <laughs> coming from, you know, Egypt and Paris, and then you're freezing your butt off here, you know, in like six feet yeah. of snow, you know. And uh, then so uh, they moved to uh, Brooklyn and Queens. Okay, and so um, uh, there's a big, <clears throat> big mix of cultures in uh, New York City. Okay, so nobody said anything about it, you know, whatever, you know, for the most part. There was, yeah. you know, used to be a lot of racism, but, you know, amongst creative people, no one ever cared. And so mm -hmm. Sylvain uh, met this Colombian kid, uh, Billy Mercia, and um, he kind of looked like a lot like what you think Mark Boland with the curly hair, like a Colombian yeah. Mark Boland. Okay. And he was, became a drummer and they were childhood friends and um, they, um, they started playing together and, um, the thing about them is that they were into style and everything. You know, they had a couple different bands before the dolls. And um, uh, so they also had a fashion company called Truth and Soul. Like they were into style, you know, dressing up and looking cool. And they called it profiling. Like you put on your coolest, you know, badass thing and go to Central Park Fountain and walk around like a peacock and try to attract, you know, <laughs> some girls or be cool, basically. But it was called profiling to those guys, you know. And um, 
So they were very, you know, aware of their image, you know, very image conscious people. And uh, they were creative. So then yeah. um, the thing is that uh, they, uh, they had this um, company that made clothing and they made some money from that, even when they were like still teenagers, okay? Sylvain and, and Billy. And um, they, uh, they sold a lot of the rights to the company and they made a big bunch of money and they traveled. And Sylvain would go to England and like go see T-Rex in England and like buy cool clothes in England, which was selling really cool clothes there. You know, um, there was starting to be cool rock clothes here, but there wasn't like all the places to get it. You kind of had to invent the style of yourself then, you know, yeah. it was very bohemian kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And he's like that. He's a world traveler. And those guys were. And so you already got two guys from two different countries right there. And then they met up with the rest of the guys from the dolls and, uh, you know, who, who were to become New York dolls. And uh, mm. Sylvain already had the name for uh, New York dolls from New York doll hospital, which was a place that fixed broken dolls. Yeah. The place, if you broke your doll, you brought it to the New York doll hospital. Wow. Wow. And uh, they, he saw, they used to rehearse across the street from this place <laughs> in an old bicycle shop. And, yeah. uh, the guy was so afraid they were going to steal something. He would lock them in every, every rehearsal and then <laughs> let them out. Like they were in jail to, to rehearse, Jeez. you know? So then, uh, he, he saw that New York doll hospital. He was inspired and, uh, kept that, you know, name in his back pocket. And, um, so when he was away, some of the other guys started a band called the dolls without him. Okay. So when he came back, he, he said, you know, he started to play with them again and he said, well, if I'm going to be in the band, it has to be called the New York Dolls. And so mm-hmm. the name really came from him. And, did, so uh, were, were you running around with these guys during this time or when, when did you first well, interact with I, them? I was a real little kid when those guys were getting started. And um, But the thing is, you could go in bars or go to outdoor shows or go to big venues or clubs and mm-hmm. people really didn't care then, honestly, here. It was pretty much outlaw. You know, it's like an outlaw place. You can you do whatever you want. You know, there wasn't too many rules here then. Um, yeah. You know, it was pretty much like unwatched, you know. So I could go sneak into a bar or a club or whatever. Or if I knew about people were doing something, I would go a lot of times outdoors or something. Plus, I was playing music already, even as a little kid. So I would want to go and like watch people play and try to learn what they're doing, you know. And uh, right. so that was a good way to learn just to see like what these people were doing how they set up, what they did, how they interacted and try to pick up some tips. And so even as a little kid, I would just go up to them and say, why did you do that? Why do you do that? And very curious and try to learn from these guys who were, you know, when I look back, they were trying to learn themselves, you know, some of these people, <laughs> but you know, right. they had the nerve to, you know, just go on stage and do whatever they felt was their routine, you know, and they were entertaining. So early bands I saw would be like, you know, people that would be playing in the park, in Central Park in different different parks around the city. And then um, uh, when I would try to study with people, sometimes they would be performing or um, their friends or they would tell me about a show and I would go to it. And my dad loved jazz. So he would um, always want to go to the jazz shows at the Village Vanguard and other places like that. So I saw all and saw and met all the most famous jazz guys when I was a little kid because my dad loved that. Art Blakey and Buddy Rich and Max Roach and, you know, all those guys, you know, all those people. And uh, so those people were pretty 
such musicians and pretty like intense living people too. And then right. um, also some of the blues guys were still around then, like when I was little, like Colin Wolf and, you know, Mighty Waters and all these guys. And this is like the roots of what became rock and roll, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah. I mean, the Rolling Stones just take their name from, you know, a song, you know, that they're inspired right. by. So the thing is that um, these guys were all, they were all impressed by somebody else and they were kind of trying to do their version of it. So New York Dolls was kind of like their version of the British, like the Stones and all these other bands combined. Bands mm-hmm. that they liked in, their, in the blues roots because they had a lot of roots to their playing. And um, yeah. they weren't trying to be virtuosos. They liked the songs and they were wanted to be exciting. And, you know, they, they attracted a lot of girls to their shows, which a lot of bands didn't. And um, so that was like a whole scene because they, New York, like I said, there wasn't, clubs then so much so the dolls would play like in a hotel like the mercer Arts center was mm-hmm. like in a, a hotel the broadway central hotel um it was in the back side of the the uh it was a separate part of the hotel and um so mercer Arts center was like a creative place where people were like doing art and all kinds of other stuff well they started playing there and so did a lot of other people played there the magic tramps and aerosmith and all people played or rehearsed there you know one and, uh, of the guys uh, one of the guys from the magic tramps actually lives here um I'm trying to remember his name right now but our our friend Cher bach is friends with him that's Sue coleman yes the, the drummer yeah, yeah he's, at, he's great yeah he yeah, could I tell you all show here he could tell you all about mercer art center because after a rehearsal for uh <clears throat> magic tramps um that's when the whole building collapsed and fell down oh wow <laughs> So, oh, wow. yeah, the whole place collapsed because these places were neglected and, you know, weren't being kept up. And, uh, you know, this whole building just collapsed. And, uh, oh you know, yeah, it's pretty scary. Uh, it was reenacted on that series vinyl, but, you know. But it was supposed to be the dolls in that one, right? Yeah, it was not when the dolls were playing. But the Magic yeah. Tramps were a really cool band that had this guy, Eric Emerson, was a singer that was like a really charismatic guy that would... um put on a show himself at the back room of axes would get a, get on a um, table and start like basically stripping and doing whatever to entertain people and himself. And so uh, he was a real exhibitionist type of dude. And um, so magic tramps was a really cool band that, um, you know, had some influence on kiss because sometimes they'd play with this guy who was a fire breather. And that's the guy who, who Gene learned from. Um, so, oh, wow. So the thing with the thing with Kiss uh, is that um, all these bands were around, like the Dolls and um, uh, Magic Tramps and the Rags and, and uh, the Brats and on and on, right? And they were all cool, but um, a lot of them never had a real release. Like some of them had some songs on the Max's Kansas City album, but a lot of them never had a real album come out, and so they didn't kind of make it to being a national act. They were just like a cool thing here, like. They were artists, you know, and um, Kiss kind of went around to every band that was cool and kind of took the best of all of those bands. And mm-hmm. early on, like fairly early on, I mean, Kiss wasn't a local band for very long. Um, and they got a big support team with yeah. Bill Coyne and Sean Delaney yeah. and, and Joyce and all these other people. They had like a management press and all kinds of things right away behind them. And uh, that's what really you know, prop them up and help them 
get to another level, people believing in and investing in them, you know, and they got a record deal really quick. And uh, so, you know, they were not a local band for very long. Like they played a show in New York. Um, the first show they played in New York was at um, Bleecker Street. Uh, it was in a loft that was owned, by, that was uh, the Bratz. Um, it was like a factory and like um, the, the Bratz used to rehearse there. And um, so the show, it cost $1. And it was uh, <laughs> Kiss, the Brats, and and uh, Wayne County, who I later played with and later played a lot and recorded with. So, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, Wayne County was like a really cool, and it's still now is known as Jane County, and it's still a really cool punk rock, theatrical, amazing performer, energetic, like rock and roller. And, and um, so, and, and uh, same of the Brats were like, like similar to the dolls that were they were like a um they were like uh anglophiles they were very much into the stones and all these other bands in england you know like the sweet and t-rex and slade and all that and uh <clears throat> the singer of um the brats keith west he owned a record store in queens and uh you know paul stanley and everybody used to go there johnny thunders and everybody and these guys knew about cool music and they would tell you like buy this record it's really cool like oh you like sweet like check this these guys out and so keith was and still is a really cool guy and he still has a version of the brats that plays and um <clears throat> what happened is um paul stanley asked keith like you know we need to play in the city can we please get on the bill with you guys and they you know yeah they did they played with him at this loft and then other times like at a like hotel diplomat mm-hmm. and um so um, the Bratz was a very influential band here, but they didn't make it like, you know, worldwide, you know, yeah. but they hadn't, they had a chance. Um, they got offered to make a record for Sire Records, which yeah. had the Ramones and other people yeah. on their label. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but by the time they got offered a deal, they, um, you know, they got offered like 10 grand or whatever it was. And th- that's how yeah. much like the first Ramones album, I think cost under 10 grand. And the second one cost like, 10 grand, you know, whatever. But right. by then the brats were like, well, Kiss is huge now. And we have to like, we need like $200,000 because we're going to have to have a magic show and all this stuff all of a sudden. And uh, they should have just put out their album because they were a rock band. They weren't like a big performance thing, even though he is an entertaining guy. They're entertaining and cool looking, but it wasn't, you know, that type of band, theatrical. Hmm. And uh, so now, you know, I've talked to Keith about that and he's like, yeah. <sighs> We should have made the album. And uh, Rick, so Rick Rivets was in the Bratz, okay? And he was also in an early lineup of, of the Dolls, the very first lineup, okay? Before Sylvain came back from, from Europe. And uh, they played together a little with, with Sil and Rick. And, um, you know, then uh, <clears throat> Rick left and, you know, continued on with the Bratz and, uh, and, and other bands. And uh, so he's passed away. But he was, he's, great you know influential new york rock person that that inspired you know certainly kiss and all kinds of people so there was people that you may not know about and uh but when you were here that's what was going on and there wasn't internet there was just chatter and like gossip about these people and you know you saw them around town or you saw them play and uh and it was cheap to go to shows and often free and um you know, so I went to as many as I could, sometimes twice a day, and uh, 
you know, like my friend Lee Black Childers was a photographer for 16 Magazine, for Rockstein, for Hip Parader, for all the, and also for Andy Warhol. And he, he was vice president of Main Man for David Bowie and all this stuff. So, um, you know, uh, what happened is uh, he would he would make money like shooting for all the magazines. So, you know, besides doing these other jobs, he would um, take any photography jobs, too. So he might be shooting in the morning at like a hotel with Elvis and then in the afternoon for for 16 magazine with like the Jackson five. And at night, uh, Alice Cooper is playing at Max's. Like I have, you know, a proof sheet of like one day of photos of Lee, and it's got all those three people on in one day. So I was like, That's one, awesome. you know. And um, the thing about uh, New York Dolls and Ramones and these people is that, um, <clears throat> well, certainly Ramones when they started were influenced by a lot of cool bands, but they couldn't play like them, so they just kind of came up with their own sound. And right. some people thought they were a parody when they first started because they couldn't believe it. And uh, they would fight on stage and all this stuff. And it, it wasn't yeah. like joking. Like they had a very strange personal relationships. And uh, and they so they really uh, were like a family. <laughs> they were. And, uh, you know, it was really, um, you know, but don't get in between them. Like if you're outsider either, you know. Right. And so um, that was the thing that uh, these guys like did their own thing. And they were they were creative, and uh, it took a while to it well caught on really quickly. But the Ramones, New York Dolls, and you know some of these other bands, even though they're pioneers and influential, they like didn't you know sell a ton of records. They didn't have a hit record, and if they played anywhere else out of the city, sometimes they'd get booed and stuff thrown at them. Like like goes back to what I said about New York being like a gang. Like if you used to go play in some other town and we're from New York, boo, people would throw, you know, whatever at you, you know? And uh, so anyway, it was a whole thing. But uh, uh, um, the, the fun thing about being here was everything was here and you could kind of uh, um, take inspiration from, and nobody slept. You just like were up at all hours doing whatever. And, um, and uh, people would kind of like, there was different little clicks of, of people, but uh, if you knew the right people, you could just kind of walk in anywhere. It's like amazing in that way. And like, I had a friend that performed on top of a hotel uh, as a fire, fire eater and everything. And he ended up like, he was very friendly with Jimi Hendrix and danced on stage with Led Zeppelin. And his name was Mike Quashi. He was from Trinidad. And um, this is a guy who's not even a rock and roll guy. He's a guy from, you know, the islands, you know, he's the fire eater and the king of the limbo. He could go under a limbo pole, but he influenced glam rock more than a lot of people because he influenced Jimi Hendrix and he taught him about fire, Shango. And he, Jimi Hendrix was from Seattle, Washington. Okay. Mm-hmm. He came here and he was wearing a suit with slick black hair. Yeah. He looked like Nat King Cole or something. He didn't look like what we think of Jimi Hendrix. Well, he was friends with, you know, be friends with, with Mike Quashie who wore scarves and all this stuff because he was from the island and he picked up on that style very much. And, uh, he, um, he used the fire and everything. And, you know, it was a super talented and charismatic guy in his own right. You know, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's Jimi Hendrix and, um, Jimi Hendrix just wanted to play. He would go into any bar at any time of night and get up and play with anyone. And my uncle and dad, like seen him play in little bars, you know, just wow. passing the hat and stuff like that before he even played it. 
Cafe Wild when he was called Jimmy James and everything. And then he played as a backing guy for Isley Brothers, Little Richard, all kind of people. Yeah. And, you know, they wouldn't want him to dress up and uh, they wanted to just be in the background. And he got influenced from Mike and started, uh, you know, tripping out and looking like how we come to know his, his, his look. And uh, that influence and also that influence Aerosmith and Kiss and all these other people in some ways, you know, they, they took like all the best from the best. And then they did their own thing with it. You know, Kiss, you can say, oh, this song is from that. This song is from that. But um, really, they, you know, took a little from each act. And then, of course, Alice Cooper was a super huge band when I was a kid. And that was a fun band to be into when you were a kid because they did all like, you know, kind of horror movie stuff on stage, like, you know, the guillotine and, you know, the electric chair and they looked like ghouls and they had a crazy stage show. So that that inspired Kiss and a lot of other bands, too. And, and um, yeah. and uh, but New York, New York has a hard or at least when I was a kid, had a, you know, it was a, it was a hard place. And, uh, you know, so you had to be kind of, you know, thick skin to run around and uh, not take offense to stuff and just let it roll off your back or whatever. And just uh, certain, you got a certain type of mentality from, you know, yeah. walking around in the streets. But so then you have bands like Ramones who, you know, have that tough image and, you know, and bands like Kiss who had in their early days this tough street image. And, um, you know, uh, and New York Dolls, who certainly had a bohemian image, you know, so that that's like style. It's not fashion. It isn't somebody telling them what to wear. It's like, we're, this is how we feel. You know, it's really art yeah. until it became made into money later for some of these bands. Yeah. And it yeah. got, you know, formulated and that's a whole different thing. But for the first inspiration of being here in the city, most people that live here can tell you that, you know, it's got everything, you know. It's got, and when you go away for a while and you come back, you realize like, wow, it's really, you know, is a cool place. And, uh, and, it was- and it's amazing to think about how even back then in the seventies, especially how all these things that we've come to know and love later on, you know, we're all so tightly intermingled and kind of coming up all in the same ecosystem. Yeah. Well, here, here's the thing where like New York, a lot of times the British things was influenced the the american rock scene right there's a lot of great british rock bands that i love but here's here's a uh example of how new york um really helped the british rock scene okay like i was talking about jane county you know was wayne county before the first transgender rocker okay and uh wayne county was dj at max's kansas city and had cool bands, the electric chairs and toilet boys and all the different versions. And Mark Bell, who later became Marky Ramone, yeah. was uh, the drummer in one of her bands. And Jerry Nolan, New York Dolls, was in one of her bands. And Tommy Ramone, you know, was in one of her bands too. Queen Elizabeth, it was called. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, Andy Warhol was a big part of New York scene. So, um, uh, Jane County, then Wayne County, got in some Warhol plays with uh, my neighbor, uh, Penny Arcade, and uh, Patty Smith, and people like this, right? And then mm-hmm. th- uh, there was a Warhol play made called Pork, which is kind of a parody of Andy Warhol with people playing him and his other people around him. 
It was made from his phone messages. It's really obscure, like strange kind of play. But there was a play called Pork, and it, it was playing here, and it played in the Roundhouse in London, which was a big old train station. You might have heard yeah. of some rock bands playing there. Yeah, but the Ramones had some big shows there. Ramones had the show on the 4th of July in 1976 that started punk rock in England. Yep. And right. I'll get to that. But first, these this, this thing, Pork, happened, which was a play about Andy Warhol with Wayne County, Cherry Vanilla, all these people, you know, that later became a performer, became known, but got their start like in this theatrical thing in England. And everybody came to this thing, Rod Stewart and every rock star came to it. And, and uh, David Bowie came to it as a young artist. And he saw what the power of Warhol people, they were like superstars. Like Andy Warhol, if he like took you in under his wing, you were called like a Warhol superstar. And you could kind of make a career from that, you know? So, um, and a lot of them did. And some in movies, modeling, whatever, fashion, something. And so um, uh, they did this show of pork and David Bowie decided when I go to America, I'm hiring these Warhol people to be my team. And he was very smart because when he came here, he wasn't, you know, when he wasn't Ziggy Stardust yet, you know, he still had the long hair and a dress and all that stuff. And, and uh, you know, hunky dory and all this stuff. He still wasn't Ziggy Stardust, but when he came here, you know, he got bumped up to this new Ziggy Stardust and all this image. And he had his team here was called Main Man. And that was made up of a lot of the people that were in pork. Tony Zanetta was the president of Main Man. My friend Lee Black Childers was the vice president. Cherry Vanilla, all these people. They ran his company and they went around and made him famous. They booked his tour. Cherry Vanilla booked him in Carnegie Hall. They went around and paid people off and had sex with people and gave them drugs to do whatever they had to do, get them played on the radio. Nobody wanted to know David Bowie at this point. They just shoved it down everybody's throat and they took it around. They made him famous in this country. They helped make David wow. Bowie famous through visual. Like the original street team. Yeah, They were like the original street team. And he was smart because he knew the power in culture of Andy Warhol. And he used that to his advantage. He was very smart. And David Bowie's a guy who knows who to work work with, you know. And David Bowie became a New Yorker, and he died here. Okay, so he, David Bowie could have lived anywhere in the world. And it just goes to show you that he lived here because he fed off the energy of the city. So that'll, that's one example where, you know, New, uh, New York gave it back. You know, we gave it back to him. And another example is, yes, when the Ramones, we're getting ready to go play in England. Um, they weren't like a big celebrity thing here yet, but they were popular, but they weren't like, they didn't have hit records or, you know, yeah, they were yeah. played on the radio, but they were a New York band, you know, New York favorite, but they went to go play on the day of the bicentennial, January, uh, July 4th, 1976. And they played at the Roundhouse, and everybody came that became yeah. all the, all the British punk guys. And Dee Dee told me he'd been pulling people in through the bathroom window because they couldn't <laughs> so afford to get in, story. like Joe Strummer yeah. and all these guys. And, you know, I got to know Joe Strummer. And he, yeah, he said, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, bands that became the Pistols and all this stuff. And the Sex Pistols actually comes out of the New York Dolls because yeah. Malcolm McLaren was managing uh, the Dolls in like 70, you know, in the mid 70s when they went down to Florida. And um, 
Johnny Thunders and Jerry Nolan quit and came back here. And uh, so they got this guy who we know later as Blackie Lawless to uh, fill in for Johnny Thunders. And they put him at the back of the stage and teased teased his hair. And they didn't even tell anybody he wasn't Johnny Thunders. You know, nobody knew then because you just had the album cover of pictures. What we had then was like Rock Scene Magazine. That was like, if something was going on in New York, it was in Rock Scene Magazine. You know, and if you were in that, you were like an influencer of today. You know what I mean? Like there wasn't any of this uh, internet or cell phones or, you know, there was the news, you know, the radio and, you know, radio played everything on one station, like Black Sabbath, Tiny Tim, Frank Sinatra, one after the other. And they didn't even like, it wasn't like rock. (laughs) It was just like any kind of music. So it was a big mix of everything. And it was normal to us because that's what it was later it got all segmented and 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 it kind of like because everyone's trying to pretend they're inventing something it's like it's (laughs) still rock and roll but okay we play like slop rock or whatever you say okay good for you like you're playing rock and roll and um so these guys went down to florida it wasn't working malcolm mclaren was kind of he wasn't their manager really he was like kind of working with them to try to i don't know he was friends with them and Sylvain knew him from when he had the clothing company. Sylvain actually had a place up in Woodstock uh, <clears throat> before anybody had like, you know, fashion show, fashion trade shows and all that stuff. They had boutique shows and hotels, but he had a place up on, up in Woodstock with Billy, that truth and soul place. And, uh, you know, there wasn't that many people there. People weren't into rock. You didn't go buy rock and roll clothes. You wore rock and roll and you wore whatever with attitude. You know what I mean? So, um, uh, you know, this is the same thing. Like everything old then was just called junk. It wasn't called vintage. It was just like, oh, there's some junk. Okay, here's an old jacket and a sweater and, you know, whatever. And New York Dolls could buy a bunch of stuff off the street on Orchard Street that was meant for like, you know, women and wear it. And then they like set and it cost them like 10 bucks, you know, <laughs> it didn't cost a fortune. And uh, so the Dolls went to Florida with Malcolm, Malcolm McLaren. And originally they had played these shows here called the Red Patent Leather Shows where he had him playing under a hammer and sickle flag, you know, oh. and like the Russian flag dressed all in red, which these guys were not political. They didn't even know or care what the heck, whatever. No. And, and it just was like, this is during Vietnam and people got really pissed off about this. And already these guys were thought of as like, you know, freaks for lack yeah. of a better word, you know? And, uh, so, uh, they went down to Florida, that stick wasn't working. So they just started wearing kind of like fatigues and army, you know, camouflage and stuff. And then the two guys quit. And, uh, on Sylvain told me that Malcolm McLaren started telling him then, Hey, I'm making this band. I want to make this band for you, uh, sex pistols. And, um, he also looked to, um, Richard hell of the voidoids and Richard hell had been in a bunch of bands here. And, um, Richard Hell had spiky hair and clothes with holes in it, you know, before the Sex Pistols, you know. Yeah, he started that look. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he just put on, like, ripped up stuff. He just, whatever. It wasn't, like, a big statement. It was, like, that's my ripped up clothes, whatever. And uh, anyway, but, you know, he was Hell. It went with his, you know, his name, his image, whatever, you know. So um, anyway, uh, and that's another band that Mark Bell, who became Marky Ramon, was in, too, was the Voidoids. Yeah. You know. And they're, you know, blank generation and all that. Another Warhol connection there. And um, so uh, Malcolm said, 
okay, I'm going to make this band for you, Sylvain, after the Dolls isn't going to happen, and I'm going to make you another band. So, you know, give me, you know, give me a guitar and a keyboard. I'm going to go to England. I'll send you a ticket to bring you over there, and we'll make a band for you in England. Come live in England. All right, great. So he gave him this guitar, gave that guitar to Steve Jones. It was the one with the with the girl decoupaged on it, the white Les Paul. And, uh, you know, Steve Jones has, like, made copies of that and sold it to many people telling them it's like the original one like oh, made wow. a lot of money off that over the years and he pulled uh, a Vinnie Vincent on him well yes yeah <laughs> and uh so anyway he never sent Sylvain the ticket to go over he did send him a letter and uh Sylvain's uh mom was living in um Coney Island so they sent this letter it's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame like Mrs. Mizrahi please give this letter to Sylvain it's got all these little like photo booth pictures of this guy could be called Johnny Rotten and has like pictures of them in a photo booth. He, he picked out the people like a boy band. Wow. Like a band. Yeah. Yeah. It's is just, that, is that a well-known thing? Cause like, I don't think I've ever heard that Sylvain was initially yeah. supposed to be part of the sex pistols. Yeah. It was made for him by Malcolm, but he never ended up joining it. And they, you know, he got Malcolm got these other guys over there with Vivian Westwood and they, they put it together there without Sylvain, but they, they, they wow. originally intended for him to be in it because they knew him way before the dolls, like I said. Wow. And uh, you can see in Sylvain's book the, the photos of uh, – I'll send it to you. I have those pictures of the, these guys in the photo booth in the letter. It's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, so that, wow. that, that's that. So that's one thing. That, and that, that handed some punk back to England right there, you know? Right. And then, um, and, uh, you know, um, then – so you get, here's another – connection you guys probably like i don't know if you know this one but when Mar- marky mark bell was a kid he was in a heavy metal band called dust yeah with uh, richie wise yeah and, kenny aronson yeah. and richie wise who produced the oh. first couple kiss albums and yeah. not only that the tech for the band was jr smalling <laughs> no kidding. His, i didn't know that yeah and his video footage and jr smalling as you know probably was a drummer and um and he plays on some of those demos for God of Thunder. And you probably heard mm-hmm. those. JR was like a pretty damn good drummer. And uh, anyway, so um, JR, um, this footage of JR, like working with us, like at this outdoor show, I'll send it to you guys. You won't believe it. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, and that's so this cool. is when, uh, this is when Mark, Mark Bell was like a, a kid, you know, these guys were like, like teenagers and they had dust. And uh, then they went on to other things, you know, Richie Wise produced the first to Kiss album. He made a fortune off that. They had also produced Brother Louie for stories. Um, mm-hmm. So this is, you know, back then, these, you know, that be- the bubblegum labels, Buddha, that became, you know, Neil Bogart, that became Casablanca. So it kind of all spun out of all this scene. It just kept regurgitating itself till it like finally cashed in on Kiss and a couple of these bands, really, you know, and, um, so Mark Mark Bell, Mark, Mark Ramon, he's got a big mega history. He actually auditioned for um, New York Dolls. So what happened is the original New York Dolls, the drummer was Billy Mercia, the Colombian right. guy I told you about. Well, the New York Dolls were playing, there was no clubs. They're playing this dumpy hotel that fell down, okay? And they're playing like a few clubs in, like they played Coventry in those places, you know, Diplomat. They play, all those places where kids played, the dolls played yeah. there too all these falling down hotels that eventually <laughs> fell down or get demolished in Coventry and, you know, mob run bars, you know? And um, right. so they didn't tour. They just played like around the five boroughs or whatever. You know, maybe they went to Bridgeport, Connecticut or something. 
you know, but they didn't go far. And Ramones only used to play here and in like Toronto. That's it. Like they didn't tour, they just, you know, until they had a, yeah. a, an album. And um, so what happened is all these people would be like playing these little theaters like the Dolls and um, the Dolls brought up a lot of excitement and um, they got a slot opening for Rod Stewart at the fa- in the Faces at Wembley State in England, right? Probably the biggest, one of the biggest shows of their career and they didn't have an album out yet. So they went uh-huh. to open for, they were supposed to open for Rod Stewart in the Faces at Wembley and then do some shows with some other bands and a little tour with Lou Reed. Well, they got to England and um, Lou Reed said, I don't want them on the stage with me. Like and banned them from all his shows. So he kicked them off the bill. So all those shows were screwed right away. Okay. And uh, yeah, so then they they played uh, they played it at Wembley with the faces, okay. And then they had some other shows to do, but then uh, they did a couple of them. But um, what happened is um, Billy, the drummer, um, was hanging out with these people, and he OD'd, and these people put him in a bathtub. And he drowned. He died in England. Yeah. So the first time these guys oh, left shit. the country, well, not Sylvain, but the, all the, he, he had already traveled. But the first, as a band, the first time they traveled, uh, you know, this guy, the friend died. They had to come back. So yeah. when, the, when they came back here, people that auditioned for them were Peter Chris, wow. uh, Jerry Nolan, and, and Mark Bell. And uh, Peter Chris... Amazing. And Jerry Nolan grew up together, childhood friends in Brooklyn. Yeah, Have you ever yeah, seen Lid- Lid- Lydia Chris book, Fields with a Kiss? Yeah. Yeah. Well, those guys were super tight. Yeah. Well, in, yeah, they were super good buddies as kids and they, they grew up playing and Jerry really um, taught Peter a lot and was like a super cool guy and super great drummer. And they, uh, they both loved Gene Krupa and uh, they'd go see Gene Krupa. And then Peter got to open for Gene Krupa at the Metropole and, um, like every drummer in New York would go see Gene Krupa. Like he was like the king of drums, you know, he's the first guy to make drumming famous. And Jerry Nolan was very much that kind of drummer, like showy and like, you know, classy dude, and, you know, jazz influence rock. And Peter was too like that, you know, and Peter actually plays Gene Krupa solos in like a hundred thousand. I'm a drummer. So, yeah. so um, Peter actually plays like hundred thousand years is like a Gene Krupa solo from way back from like 1939. You know, drum boogie yeah. there's a couple of solos you know uh gene krupa sing 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 and uh so anyway these guys were like childhood friends and uh they already lost they already lost the drummer and buddy bowser who's a sax player he plays on the first dolls record right he plays sax on uh can't put your arms around a memory uh lonely planet boy and can't put your arms around a memory he he Good um songs. he yeah. uh he would play live with them and sometimes they had two sax players but he grew up with Jerry Nolan and he very much uh, advocated for them to, to take Jerry in the band. And yeah. um, so then they had Jerry and then they got, you know, finally got a record deal and more and more stuff happened. And they toured with Kiss. And uh, here's, this is a funny story you guys might like. Um, uh, when Kiss, sometimes it'd be bills like Kiss, uh, um, New York Dolls, Aerosmith, Silverhead. But sometimes, like Kiss and the Dolls would play, not not too many, but they were definitely fans of each other, and they go to each other's shows. They were peers, you know. And um, so, uh, uh, Paul Stanley said to Sylvain, um, "Sylvain, how will I know when when I made it?" And uh, Sylvain said, um, "Look, Alice Cooper is the king. 
So when somebody asks you for Alice Cooper's autograph, just say, oh, thank you and sign it and just you've made it. And so that's it. You know, not even they're even going to ask him for or know who he is. Like if they ask you for Alice Cooper's autograph, you're, you're a star. Because Alice Cooper is the king. So don't even say you're not him. Just make the people happy. Sylvain was kind of like a vaudevillian type guy. Just like do anything to entertain people. Yeah. So he's kind of like selfless that way. But Too he was, funny. Yeah. So one time they're in O'Hare Airport, and Paul Stanley comes running up to Sylvain, all out of breath, and like. Sylvain, I made it. I just signed my first Alice Cooper autograph. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, awesome! There was kind of a, um, there was kind of a division then. Like these people were like, it's funny because the Ramones um, aren't what you think of the look of a punk band. Like they had mm-hmm. long hair, and they didn't, you know, I mean, they didn't have spiky hair. They had long hair and didn't wear you know they did have holes in their pants when when they would wear out but not you know as a fashion statement but you know i later made clothes for joey ramon you know just from knowing these guys since i was a kid eventually like i end up like working with them like making clothes for um wow. you know a lot of ba- my band which was like a very theatrical band called flying 69 which was like almost like a kiss alice cooper type thing and so I just had to make those clothes because you couldn't buy them. And then um, uh, people would know that I made them and ask me to work on their clothes, which I didn't really know how to do, but I would just try to do it and their clothes would fall apart. But eventually I learned how to do it. And then I made clothes for um, a lot of bands in New York, including um, Degeneration, who are my friends. And then they went on the road opening for Kiss on the reunion and they opened for the Ramones and they opened for, cheap trick and they for social distortion but anyway so joey ramon loved them and he asked you know them who's making your clothes and then he asked me to make his clothes so uh, that, that must have been a trip to get asked that it's incredible and i was always asking him hey i'll because i would see him around all the time and they're like oh i'll make something for you just like call me up and he would never call but it, you know he's always nice but he's very like kind of nervous person and um uh you know he, he was had a lot of social stigma. Like he would go in a club and go up against a wall and just kind of look down. He, you know, he, he kind of lived in this like four or five block radius around his apartment. He just like went yeah. to this club, that restaurant, this every day, pretty much. So you'd see him like every time. And uh, he was friendly, but he was a little bit nervous and had a lot of problems, health and other, otherwise. But to get to, you know, called from him to like, come make my clothes. I, I went right over there, you know, and then just became yeah. like super close friends. And then I ended up playing with Didi Ramon, some shows and end up playing yeah, on his I last album. You, I wanted to ask you about that. Who was in the band with, with when you were with Didi, who, uh, who else was playing with you guys? Didi. That's it. Me and Didi. It was and, just um, two of you. Yeah. What happened is, um, <laughs> he, he had a bunch of bands. Okay. And, uh, <clears throat> towards the end of his life, he was getting kind of fed up because he wanted to just play. And sometimes these guys would always like, he'd be rehearsing and they would be like, I have to go, you know, do something. I have to go get drugs. I have to whatever. And he just wanted to play. And so he would kind of get annoyed. So um, I actually went to LA to visit a friend of mine, some friends of mine. And, um, but everyone was kind of busy. So I, I was thinking like, why did I even come here? Because what am I doing? Like, no one's around and uh, my friend had my friend howie who was in degeneration had just joined danzig 
So I, he was living at Danzig's house. So I went, I went to Danzig's and, uh, but they were just like starting to get together. And so I just, you know, split and did some other stuff, you know, not like I couldn't, I could have stayed there or whatever, but I just went out and see what else there is to do. And I noticed Edie was doing a book signing at Borders Books. So I went to it and he said, um, Hey, um, come to my, come to my, uh, event tomorrow at the knitting factory in LA. It's a, uh, art show and i'm reading from my book and i'm gonna play oh great so i went early and when i got there he he had already fired his band and uh he was really upset and he was gonna leave and uh i said you're gonna leave i'll keep this whole event for you like you're gonna you know he had all his paintings up he did art with paul kastabi and uh he he had a couple books out there and he was gonna read from them and whatnot he was supposed to perform and he said, hey, I've, I've known you so long. Why don't we just play? So just the two of us played. That's it. Okay. Yeah. No rehearsal. I just got up and played. Wow. I didn't even have drumsticks. I wasn't even supposed to be there. It just happened, right? Holy shit. And so then then he said, okay, I've known you for so long. Let's just play. So the two of us played. All these people came up and uh, Xene from X and, uh, you know, all kinds of people came up and like spoke and read poetry and we played and he read from his book and he read this poem about Joey who had passed away and people were crying. We oh, played wow. like 30 songs in a row, you know, and then he broke a couple strings and that was it. And, you know, <laughs> so, uh, and then he said, I really want you to, I'm doing an album and I want you to play drums on it. So I said, great. And he goes, why don't you come and rehearse? So we went to rehearse uh, at the studio out there and uh, his wife, Barbara came and played bass because he taught her to play bass. Um, she didn't play at the, at the show. It was just me and Didi. And then so Barbara um, rehearsed with us and we rehearsed for like half hour. And Dee, Dee says, do you want to take a break? I'm like, no. And then another half hour, want to take a break? No. We played like two hours and he's like, I have to take a break. This is the longest <laughs> I've ever rehearsed for. I'm like, okay. So someone knocked on the door and it was uh, Flea from the Chili Peppers. Oh, wow. And uh, they hugged and they were good buddies and Chili Peppers were rehearsing there. Iggy was rehearsing there. Um, wow. uh, Danny Sage from, uh, degeneration was recording an album there that I actually played on the demos for, but I saw Clem Burke in the hall. He's like, I'm playing on the, I heard your demos. I'm playing on the album, you know? So it was the whole weird thing. And we it's like a family with, reunion. Yeah. We, and all these like New York people, you know, were there and, <laughs> and we went and jammed with the chili peppers and that was fun. And so wow. I ended up playing with him and then I played on his album with, um, Paul Kastabi produced now Paul Kastabi. Uh, his brother, Mark Kastabi, did the cover, they're artists and they're musicians. And Mark Kastabi did the cover of um, Use Your Illusion mm -hmm. he, for Guns N' Roses. Yeah, he didn't do it for them. It was a painting that was up in an art gallery and Axel bought it and it was already named Use Your Illusion. So Axel bought that painting and called the album Use Your Illusion. And the second side that's the second colors ver variation mm -hmm. of it uh -huh. is like, Flash, I think, created that in a computer. Like, it's only the original one, which was a silk screen. That that uh, Paul Paul Pistabi actually did the silk screen physically, I guess, and and named it "Use Your Illusion." So these guys are creative people. And um, uh, Didi said, um, "Paul Pistabi is producing my album. I want you to play on it." And you know, he's in New York, so you know, I knew I knew who Paul was, but I didn't know him that well. And, uh, I start, I played on DD's album that became his, his last album. It's called youth gone mad featuring DD Ramon. 
And Paul Kasabi uh, is from Whittier, California. And he started the band White Zombie. He started in California, he had a band called Youth Gone Mad. They had a local hit called Okie Dogs, which was about a hot dog stand, Okie Dogs. Um, kind of like in, in Hollywood, they have Pink's Hot Dog yeah. Stand. Uh, well, where he was from, they had, they had Okie Dogs. And so he, he had Youth Gone Mad and they had Okie Dogs. So then he came to New York. He started White Zombie. Um, he, he's on the first recordings of White Zombie with Peter Landau on drums. And he, he taught Shania Salt to play bass. She was a keyboard player originally. And uh, anyway, so then he left White Zombie, but he did start, helped put the band together. And then he uh, made a band called, uh, he had a bunch of bands. One of them was called Psychotica, who actually was on Lollapalooza with uh, Ramones and uh, Metallica and everything. Uh, and it, we, we had a band together called Super Numb Live Machine, which had a record deal in, in Russia. So um, wow. it's like Dee Dee like knew, you know, everyone. And he introduced me to all these people. And then I end up playing on all these sessions for all kinds of people, um, recording with people, meeting more people. Uh, Paul Kastabi and his brother, here's the art influence in New York mixing with music is that Mark Kastabi had, is an artist. So he did, not only did Use Your Illusion, he did the cover of the Ramones last album, Adios Amigos. Oh, I yeah. With the dinosaurs. With the dinosaurs, yeah, he dinosaurs did, yeah. yeah. He did that too. They were originally called Inesaurs because Paul Kastabi's real name is Indrek. His nickname is Ine. So um, anyway, uh, it was originally they had uh, witches hats on, not sombreros, because uh, Mark Kasabi's uh, some of his little tokens he has in his paintings are like a witch's pointed hat or a little sphere. And these are things that are commonly in his paintings, if you look at his other art. And so the original um, Adios Amigos painting, uh, I think it was called Inesaurs, and it had like the, the the dinosaurs had like a little pearl bracelet around their wrist and Johnny Ramone said, no way can I have this like little bracelet. So they had to paint over the <laughs> bracelet and they put those sombreros on the heads and they called it Adios Amigos. So wow. Mark Mark was a painter and is a painter and he um, he has a factory much like Warhol where he pays these artists to do his art. Like they, they paint it. Like he has, he'll come up with a concept and give them the sketch or the idea and tell them like, okay, paint this in the style of like Dali or whatever. And they do, but they have his characters in there. So he had a game show <clears throat> with various names, title this, name of that painting. He had a game show on a local TV um, station here. And uh, after I did Didi's album, Paul Kastabi said, oh, my brother Mark has a TV show and he wants to have a house band. So could you come and like play music on it? So I would just show up and play music. I didn't even have the band. I was just playing drums and a gong and making noise. And uh, then I put a band together and there was the house band. And so then we would get a lot of musical or art talent to come on there. And the, the, the purpose of the game show was to name the painting. So he'd pull out this painting, put it on an easel and all these celebrities and the audience, he would pay the audience to come there and they would, suggest the title and people would vote on it and hmm. whatever name was chosen that was the actual name of the painting wow. okay so and he'd pay them some money so we we started to have we had the house band but we started that musical guest so i would pick like you know lala brooks of the crystals or um who did then she kissed me so we get to play that with her on the show 
And then we have Glenn Matlock of the Sex Pistols, so I get to play with him. And we have the Village People. We had Blue, you know, Blue Oyster Cult or whoever play on the show. And I would get to play with them because I was, you know, helping run the band and running the rehearsals. And, um, you know, we also have like um, <coughs> Michelle Gondry, you know, the Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he w- it's right before that came out, we were friends with him. And I played on an album. Uh, I helped start a band called The Willows with Paul Kostabi's, um, uh stepson, uh, uh, Richie. Richie Fallen, and uh, they said, "Oh, Richie wants to do music." So we made we made a single for him, and it was called "The Willows." Was the band, but we weren't the band. We just played, you know. And uh, they were they were for Posh Boy Records. This is a California label, and um, so we put out a single. And then he made like a band with his, you know, girlfriend and other friends his age. But sometimes I would still end up back in the band or playing the record or whatnot. So Michelle Gondry became a fan of this band, and he made a couple videos for us and he put our songs in eternal sunshine and be kind rewind and he became super famous and won the academy award now another thing is that he was a drummer so michelle had a band in england i mean england france he's from france he had a band a disco band called wee wee which sounds like wee wee (laughs) he's a pretty good drummer but he liked you know all kinds of cool music and he's a really cool creative guy and um so um I was teaching, giving him drum lessons too. So Glenn Matlock came on the show and we were like, I was singing during the sound check. So I ended up like singing with Glenn Matlock and we made Michelle play drums. So we were like trial by fire. You know, he was playing like uh, Stepping Stone, you know, Sex Pistols did Stepping Stone and uh, Can't Explain by the Who or whatever. So you're interacting like in New York, you're interacting with like art people and rock and roll and theater and, literary people you know what i mean like you get such a mix of culture that you know if you're creative and you can you know kind of mingle with people you can like really pick up on a lot or a lot of opportunities happen and there you go all that stuff just happened to me by chance because i went up and talked to Didi and everything you know actually i had gone to see Didi ramon play at the cat club here in new york i think it had a different name then it was probably called spa or something when Didi had a book signing and Paul Kostabi was playing drums with Didi at that show. But then wow. I went and I went to, to California and I ended up playing with Didi and I ended up playing on his album. And so we rehearsed with Barbara and we were actually, we were going to go play in Japan. We were going to do a Japanese tour and Didi and uh, Paul Kostabi bought a plot of land in California. They're going to build log cabins there, like two log cabins. And, and Didi was going to actually like retire from music and just like concentrate on, art and other things like that yeah. so um uh but unfortunately he died we didn't get to go to japan hmm. but i did play on his album he actually did a blues album with paul that never came out it's really cool and he was a really great guy to know and there was a time when he was kind of a horror show because he's you know had suffered with addiction and a lot of these guys died you know when they were kids and uh you know because drugs you know and um uh it's it's sad that we lost a lot of these people. But by the time CBGB's was closing the last night, I remember talking to the owner of CBGB's at Hilly Crystal and saying like, it's terrible that the Ramones can't be playing at this and the Dead Boys yeah. can't. And, you know, a lot of the bands weren't even around that were the mainstay bands, you know, of the place. And uh, uh, so it was kind of, kind of rough. Like a lot of these guys, you know, bit the dust early. And then 
So it's really sad to lose somebody like Sylvain, who was like, you know, one of the last people from this era that was like really cool, like really, really important to Mm -hmm. New York and to all of rock and roll, really, when you think about it, like an unsung hero and didn't get his due. And this would really burn him sometimes. Like he would, because, um, uh, uh, his, his uh, wife Wanda was from Atlanta. So for a while he was living down in Georgia. And yeah. I remember he, he called me one day and he said, yeah, I got up and played with poison at this big venue the other night. And like, that's cool. What did you play? Like, you know, personality crisis. Like, oh no, we had to play like rock and roll all night. I'm like, what the hell was that? What are they saying to the crowd? You know, they can't play a doll song. They obviously love New York dolls. Poison. Yeah, give, me, yeah. give me a break. Direct influence. Yeah. But they couldn't play like, you know, looking for a kiss or something and try to turn, people on to the dolls so yeah kind of a dumb. weird kind of a weird like a lost opportunity and uh, yeah, but time. anyway you know people that were around then know that they were the hottest thing in new york at the time everyone to be everybody wanted to be like them you know or be around them you know like you know kiss wanted to be like the dolls but they couldn't and they went to go see alice cooper and they got inspired by that yeah. So, yeah, you know, so they went more macho. They, they went more macho, you know. Well, they weren't they weren't pretty enough to be the dolls. No, <laughs> it, it looked just, like it wasn't going to work. Yeah, it wasn't going to fly. It looked like linebackers or something. But yeah. you know, it's funny how then. Okay, so then when the dolls were in Florida and fell apart, uh, <clears throat> Arthur Kane and some other guy on drums. The kid they couldn't even remember that guy's name. Sylvain <laughs> said they only played one show with with with, with Blackie. Like Blackie yeah. got up. Uh, and played one show and as Johnny Thunders basically and then Arthur Kane moved to LA with mm-hmm. with him and formed Killer Kane and yeah. uh, that's how Arthur ended up in LA from that so um you know and it was funny for me to see Arthur in LA and stuff he was really out of his element you know and um, yeah he's a definite New York guy <laughs> oh big time big time yeah. and uh you know it was like these guys had these old feuds and stuff and you know, when Dee Dee died, I, I had all this stuff going on and I couldn't, I was touring with this other band with you know, Sam Yaffa from Hanoi Rocks, mm-hmm. a friend of mine. I was in a band with him called Madwana. Like I met Hanoi Rocks when they first came to the U.S. And I was, you know, met Razzle and all that. And another band that's influenced by New York Dolls, obviously. Oh, yeah, hugely. And, uh, and another band that's influenced Guns N' Roses, Mega. Like under yeah. underwater world and welcome to the jungle is from underwater world, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, if you know Hanoi Rocks, you know what the deal. And um, so um, you know, it's like uh, I couldn't go to Dee Dee's funeral, and I was pretty upset about it too. And uh, I called Arthur Kane and I said, "You got to go to Dee Dee's funeral." And they they had this feud over some girl that tried to kill both of them actually, and. Uh, yeah, oh, I can't. We had this big feud. I'm like, the guy's dead. Just please go to his funeral for me and yeah. let me know what happens. And he, he did go. He went from Blondie and they, they went. I'm glad they went. And, That's good. And I, I was so happy for Arthur that he got back in the dolls and he, he lived his whole life to be back in it again. And he yeah, finally, that he finally did. That whole- that whole documentary documenting that whole process was that's one of the most heartwarming things I've ever seen is that whole story. Well, these that's just the thing. And that's a good point. These guys are all heart. They're, they're all heart and they're all like spirit. And uh, a lot of bands today and a lot of recordings, you can make like a perfect recording in perfect time, perfect tuning, whatever. And you just feel nothing, you know, like it, uh, these guys like were pretty raw 
and they like made you feel everybody feel something and uh yeah. that's really cool they had a lot of heart and soul in what they were doing they had a lot of attitude and yeah. and style not fashion style and uh even kiss like they weren't wearing like fashionable clothes people were like what the hell is this you know right <laughs> <laughs> you know it was kind of funny because when kiss came out like you know glam was kind of already over like here you know and then they came out and like oh, okay whatever and uh but the, the thing about kiss is that they weren't a sloppy you know like the dolls they were like very well rehearsed in the vocals oh, yeah. and they had tons of gear and they were very professional like other bands if if they're true to themselves they said at the time yeah when these guys came out we were like wow okay this is like not messing around so like i said they weren't a local band for a long time and yeah, also, they, well they they outworked everybody else it seemed like they had a really serious work ethic and they had other people depending on them and lighting a fire under them to get you know get it together and they did and uh they had a big support system like i said and i helped um write a couple of books about this and one is called lost rockers and one is called uh new york rock and um work with an author named stephen bless he wrote american hardcore and um so uh we made a book called lost rockers and it talks about people who kind of fell through the cracks and you know they're talented but you know didn't get a break or whatever it is and um one of these guys in there is uh you know rick fox who uh rick yeah. fox was a guy who is from new york uh he had some bands here and um he was like a young rock and roll guy and he played all the little clubs and um he went out with peter chris's sister and he would go see kiss rehearse in the loft when they yeah, first we, started we've we've had him on a couple of times oh yeah, yeah. and then he had the yeah, Mar martian out with rick he had the yeah. martian rock band and then he went to la and he played with Ingve and you know he named him wasp you know he was in yeah. wasp he named it and uh yep. so you know uh it's like this place was like a wild west you know you could kind of it wasn't all figured out. The business wasn't figured out and the rule, there wasn't really rules. So you could kind of just, if you had the nerve, you could do something. And uh, now everything's so business and it's a different, it's a different world, you know? Yeah. Like, how do you guys feel since, are you guys from Nashville? I am. Aaron's not. Okay. Uh, um, so has it changed since you, you, you oh, got, God, yes. Yeah. 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 Big time. Even in just the time that I've been here in the last, I guess, almost 20 years, it's changed a lot. I can't yeah. imagine somebody that grew up here, but I guess that's that way everywhere. Yeah. Well here, especially cause here there was a lot of like really weird one-off places that, you know, looked like, you know, on the verge of falling down and then did fall down. But, you know, we just had a place here closed, um, uh, called Gem Spa, and what this place was was like a newsstand and like a hangout place. Like nobody would ever build a place like this today, because how are you supposed to make any money with it? It's like a place for like delinquents to hang out and play pinball. And like you know, originally it was like this place was almost a hundred years old. It was in the East Village on St. Mark's Place, and uh, it was um, a soda fountain place which had had a counter, and people would like you know make you whatever uh egg cream which is you know a drink that doesn't have egg or cream in it <laughs> but it's like <laughs> you know it's a particular drink from new york and um or you could get you know coca-cola whatever but out of the fountain right and they had a newsstand and buy cigarettes and candy it was like candy cigarettes it was like a troublemaker dream you know what i mean <laughs> like 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 high school go hang out at gem spa 
and look at like Darley magazines and rock and roll magazines and play pinball or whatever, right? So over the years, so on the back of the New York Dolls album cover, they're hanging out in front of Gem Spa. And they, oh, that they, is that. Okay. Yeah, and that, that place now closed. So that place was one of the most New York places in New York that's particular to here. Like you can't replace it. Like, what is it? You know, who's getting, it's a nightmare. What happened is these people took it over after a while and they lost their um, right to sell um, tobacco and uh, uh, lottery tickets. And that's what they were making any money off of anymore. Like yeah, it, right. most people don't buy magazines anymore no. and uh, hang out and play pinball as much anymore. <laughs> so anyway, it's, there's a lot of places here when I was a kid that were weird. Like, you know, there was a restaurant in Times Square where you'd go in there and they'd never serve you and you would just leave. It was like obviously a front for something. <laughs> it wouldn't tell you to leave. They would just never come you around. Get the like, hint. Wow. Like, all right. Well, what, you know, there was weird places like that. You go in a place and it had all dust on everything. This guy wanted to manage one of my bands once. He took me up to his office in Harlem and uh, we go in there and uh, everything's covered with like an inch of dust and, you know, all these old things. It's a stationary store, but, Oh, these things are like from the thirties. It's like yeah, nobody's bought anything. Yeah, no one's even allowed in there, right? He's just bringing <laughs> me in there, maybe to kill me. I don't even know what he's doing. And um, so uh, I go, "What is with this stuff?" And then he goes, "Oh, never mind this." So we went in the basement, and there was a whole like casino downstairs, like a gambling function wow. room. So there was like places like that here, you know. And uh, there, That's there, cool. were, yeah, and you know, and in fact, like you know. Um, uh, Man, you came up in a magical time in a magical place for sure. Well, yeah, and I think I was inspired by it, and, and uh, a lot of other people were. And like, yeah. you know, some people had varying degrees of success. And like, it's funny because like a lot of <clears throat> a lot of guys from my, you know, my generation and stuff are, you know, rockers are like now like writing and making movies and to express yeah. themselves because the industry isn't geared towards rock and roll anymore. It's hard to make any money doing that anymore. And uh, when I was a kid, I made more money off music, you know, mm -hmm. even just playing in bars, they would pay you like pretty good. This is like yeah. pre DJ and stuff like that. Like you'd play a weekend in some dumpy bar and here's like 1200 bucks, you know, you can't even get yeah. that now to play a bar. Like they don't even want to pay you. And now yeah. I saw this thing where Rolling Stone is trying to get people to pay them. You pay them if you want to write for them. Really? Give me a break. Oh, God. Give me a break. Now it's pay to play to write for Rolling Stone. Give me That's a break. Crazy. Never one of my favorite <laughs> magazines. Anyway, I always loved no. Rock Scene, Cream, yeah. Circus, Hit Parader, Faces. Those were the cool rock and roll magazines. If you even like rock and roll, you know that Rolling Stone isn't cool and it's not rock and roll. No. It's no. like these snooty people, that the same people that wanted to keep Kiss out of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that yeah, had no. a big problem with them. And, you know, too bad. Like, just people were one of the most successful bands ever in the world. You can't keep them out. You know, really, New York Dolls should be in Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. MC5 should be in Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And there's a lot of other yeah. people, too. Chubby Checker for that, you know, random people. But they get it mixed up with hip-hop and other people being in there. And like, I love yeah. all, all kinds of music. I'm not against that, but it's supposed to be the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's really yeah, weird. Yeah, stick to the actual genre. It's weird. I mean, hey, I mean, I guess they're just trying to attract all kinds of People it's all and, about selling tickets to that event every year. Is all it's, that's yeah, all it's, it's about. Yeah, it's a it's a nonprofit organization like the NFL or any other thing, and they're just trying to right. put asses in the seats and all that. But you know, it was like before. It was more about like uh, you know these bands here were like proud of who they were, and they were like 
you know, we're going to show you guys like, you know, like the New York dolls were like the little rascals. They're like, we're going to put on a show, you know, and they're like, we're going to entertain you. And they weren't about other things, you know, they weren't thinking about the money and all this other crap. They were just having fun doing, trying to be who they were. And, uh, you know, they were kids, you know, they were, yeah. they were young people still, you know, teenagers are barely 20 years old. And, uh, there was industry then though, that had real money. And here's another funny thing. Lieber Krebs was a management company. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they managed, uh, the dolls and a new band called Aerosmith at the same time. And they were pretty close style of bands in a lot of ways, but Lieber Krebs was like, you know, these dolls guys already, one of the guys died, you know, like the, we're going to go with Aerosmith. Yeah, and Aerosmith yeah. became this mega huge band and, and Kiss became this mega huge band and the dolls kind of fell by the wayside and they, they inspired Aerosmith. And, you know, uh, you know, um, uh, back in the saddle, it's like David Johansson from New York dolls, like stamping his boots with the jingles on his boot in, in, uh, back in the saddle. Like the, these guys were the, the dolls came and took, uh, uh, or Aerosmith came and took the dolls sound man, girlfriends, clothing designers, everything. Dang, like Aerosmith wow. came and just took it. They just took it. And they, they were talented, whatever. I love Aerosmith. And I, yeah, I love them too. Whatever. But, they, you know, at, there was a time when they were kind of both, like the dolls were ahead, really. Everybody wanted yeah. to be the dolls. And uh, Aerosmith came up and they took it all and ran. So that's, it was weird to see which bands got super famous and who didn't. There was a band that was great when I was a kid called The Fast, you know, with Paul Zahone really cool yeah. band they were top band at like maxes and they were famous here before you know before blondie before you know the same time as ramones and all that stuff but they they everybody thought they were going to be huge and they the, the fast always had different looks and they had there's one look where you'd think it was kiss you know mm. where they're dressed up in makeup and dressed like a deck of cards or whatever for one show only and then they had another look where they were new wave and then they had a, you know, they didn't stay with one look, but there's one look where you would look at them and go, Whoa, okay. And you know, th you know, there's, uh, there's many things that influence, you know, kiss and yeah. any theatrical band, because you're always trying to come up with something new. I mean, right. let's face it. It's hard to keep it fresh. And, you know, you know, for the, who thought kiss would still be playing, right. You know, I mean, nobody's playing right now, oh, but wow. they just played new year's Eve, whatever, right. you know, and uh, who, yeah. who would think, you know, wow. Like, you know, back in the day, like nobody thought even ahead at all. Like you're lucky to be alive every single day when it was in New York back then. Yeah. Ta taxi driver in New York. And, you know, yeah. when these guys were cab drivers, I was a cab driver for a while, but it was still fun. Like it became like just too much rules. It's no fun anymore. It, you know, everything was like fun city. Everything was open late. And now everything's closed pretty much at like, you know, it's like nine o'clock or whatever. It's like, you know, crickets out there, you know, it's weird. Used to be like, go out at night in Times Square and you thought it was daytime because all the lights were bright and you didn't even think of day or night. And a lot of people had their windows blocked out and you never even cared. You stay up for a couple of days and create. So it was like a whole different world. It's a different world, a different world. So, uh, we were getting close to about 90 minutes, so I think and you've, there's probably a million other things you could touch yeah. on. You want to come back on sometime in the future? Yeah, I would love to. I mean, uh, I hope I answered some of your questions, but if you if you want to take any questions another time or something, I, I would be happy to talk to you guys again. You guys are great. I've listened to your show right for on. years, and uh, I always love when you have the summer, you know, kiss in July, and 
And all, yeah, we'll we'll do that again. All, all your all your um all your takes on everything is really like right on and cool. I like what awesome. you know how you, you make people feel comfortable and uh you know, you guys love music and you know, that's what it's been about. You know, you guys seem to like to have fun and you know, don't take yourself too serious and you're make it fun. And it's, I Heck like the yeah. show I like the show a lot. I mean, Thanks, thanks for uh, asking me to come on. It's really an honor. And uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening. And if, yeah, if you uh, want to write some questions, I don't know. I'll try to answer if I come back on. But uh, That's cool. I was uh, going to say, because this has been kind of like my favorite kind of uh, conversation that we have, where Chris and I ask one question, and you just spend an hour telling us all kinds of awesome stories. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, that's all good, man. You, they can hear no, us anytime. I love it. I love these early 70s New York City stories, man. Fantastic. Maybe what we could do is one night when we're doing a Friday Night Live, maybe you could come on with us and we'll just yeah. take live questions right on the fly. I would do that. I, I, I feel, you know, it was uh, it was kind of an emotional week with Sylvain passing away. That's very big. Another yeah. big guy that passed away is uh, Jerry Brandt. Uh, he was a big promoter. He worked oh, yeah. for um, He worked with Sam Cooke. He worked for William Morris. He worked for all kinds of famous people. He ran. He owned the Ritz. He owned the Palladium, which we didn't even talk about the Palladium and seeing Kiss at Academy of Music and Palladium. I'll tell you about that next time. Yeah, I saw sure. Kiss. I saw Kiss at the Palladium and, nice. and the Academy of Music, the first big New York show. When they yeah. first, the first show they had to sign, I was at that with you know Louis Cult, Stooges. Oh and, uh, yeah, we have to. Yeah, we have to come back on. And I was at Eric. Hey, well, what are you doing in July? <laughs> yeah, you want to come on in July? Well, my birthday's in July, so that'd be cool. We'll celebrate right. your birthday. We'll talk only about Kiss that day. I would do that. My nice. friend Eric, Eric Carr's birthday was a couple of days away from mine. My my birthday's the 13th. And uh, Eric, I've celebrated my birthday with one time. And he would call me and ask me to come out to a club and hang out. And he nice. would give me drum stuff. He's super sweetheart of a guy. But it was fun to see, like, him play his first show at the Palladium, oh, which, which is the same venue where it was called Academy of Music. When I saw, yeah, it was the same venue. So yeah, I yeah. saw so many rock shows there. But in in seven, like seven years, basically, like Kiss became the biggest band in the world, and then they just played the Garden, and then all of a sudden they played at the Palladium, and that's the only show they played in 1980 in the U.S. Yeah. Was that show? It was really weird because the year before they had played two nights at the Garden. And I went to yeah. every garden show of Kiss, every single one. Oh well, then every... we have a lot to we have a lot to go through when yeah. you come back. <laughs> single one of my friends opened at the reunion, the generation at, at the garden. Yep. So you know, yeah, we have a, we could talk about those guys a lot. No okay. Problem. Fantastic. Cool. Thank you guys again. Mm-hmm.